Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. Halloween comes early, Normies, and emerges from the depths to bring unspeakable eldritch terrors to our quaint little podcast. What makes these gods so elder, you ask? Your hosts are about to find out when they dive in on all things Lovecraft on Normies Like Us. We have a secret legacy. It's in Lovecraft country. You have been chosen by the old one. The actual sound could be taken something as... A bottomless curse. A bottomless sea. Accepting of all that there is and can be. Bubbles boil and bubble from the deep. We feel something rising. It might be an elder god. Uh, it might just be your hosts here. On Normies Like Us, we're talking Lovecraft today. All things HP Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, all things Lovecraftian. And uh, it might get a little spooky. Again, here on Normies Like Us with your host, HP Colin. Oh, I thought you were going to do Colin Thulu. I am uh, the Reanimiker. Oh. <laughs> I don't have a good name. I never have a good name, but uh, <laughs> this is HP Jacob. Yeah, oh, don't stare too long at those uh, monsters, Colin. You might go crazy. Ooh, the void stares back in uh, in this spooky episode. Taking a break from summer of fun, we finally have a relevant topic to talk about, guys. We have mm-hmm. something uh, some new media new. came out. I mean, come on, how exciting is that? But first, let's get our history. Let's talk a little bit about our exposure to Lovecraft. Do you guys like it? And of course, the big question: How do you pronounce Cthulhu? Cthulhu. 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 Don't say it too much. It's like candy, man. That's true. True. Or Bloody Mary. Uh, for me, like I really don't fuck with H.P. Lovecraft that much. Like it doesn't really overlap. I mean, it does overlap kind of in works that he's influenced, and we'll talk about that probably a little bit later, but. I haven't really read any of his stories, but the first time I was introduced to him was a Flash game based on Reanimator, which was basically shooting zombies, so Whoa. I don't know how accurate that was. Um, but I think a lot of his works have influenced things that I am very interested in, and I think that's going to be what's cool to look at on this is kind of, uh, yeah, his influence on the horror genre and pop culture as a whole. How about you, Jacob? Oh, yeah, for sure. I would say, yeah, I would agree. I mean, his influence is... Con- be seen in a lot of different things um i like him i haven't like read his like i haven't read the stories or anything i kind of find his prose to be kind of hard to read i mean it was from a very different era where you know it's just i don't really have the attention span to read that kind of thing um <laughs> but no i i like um media that's adapted from you know his works or just influenced by um i even have you can see in the back on the video here um, listeners won't, but I have a poster that I bought in 2016. It's, it's in the style of the Obama Hope poster. It says Cthulhu 2016. And instead <laughs> of Hope at the bottom, it says Awaken. Um, there you so go. I've got that. <laughs> um, I'm yeah, pretty I sure they, Cthulhu won that year, too, based on <laughs> I'm what's pretty going sure he on. Did. So I good think work. He's going to win again. Oh, <laughs> but man. yeah. 2016 I, yeah. is the year that uh, Lovecraft Country the book came out, so that's very telling. It was a big year for Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Spooky. and I mean, yeah, I think his 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 work has has been very influential over the years in horror, and um, 
I, you know, I like it. Yeah, well, I've done the Colin. How about you? You Lovecraft boy? Are you Hewlett? I'm a Lovecraft head. Uh, he happened to be my father's favorite author. So awesome. uh, the same way that mine's kind of Stephen King, I'll say just on the topic of fathers. Stephen King has mythologized his own background to the point where he says, "Well, I knew I wanted to be a writer when I went up into my attic and found my dad's lost books." the shaft of light was shining on it and I opened it up and it was oh, The Call of Cthulhu by H.P. Lovecraft and I knew at that moment and everything changed and you go yeah that's cool um, not quite that for me my dad liked him and he just thought he was a cool writer his other favorite was Edgar Rice Burroughs who I was very excited to see referenced in H.P. Lovecraft or H.P. Lovecraft Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country, Country as well with all the, he wasn't a John Carter of Mars fan. He was a Tarzan fan, uh, equally mm-hmm. racist, as we know from uh, <laughs> from other interpretations lately. So uh, it, it's hard. It's hard, guys. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, John Carter does get a reference in the first episode of Lovecraft Country, and you might remember that was adapted into a Disney movie um, that did not do well. But I, I'm guessing I didn't see it, but I'm guessing they probably changed the fact that he was a Confederate soldier. Um, in the movie. Yeah, he was just uh, Gambit. You would have to hope that Taylor Kitsch had just, yeah, he <laughs> fell Tim through a Riggins, time loop. He was, he was Gambit. He was Tim Riggins. He just got done playing football. Um, <laughs> I don't know, guys. My brother lives in Providence, Rhode Island now. That is where H.P. Lovecraft was born and spent the bulk of his life. I've gone on a Sorry. lot of tours there, seen the house that he grew up in. Uh, I've been to Boston to see his grave. I don't know if you've checked that out as well, Jacob. Very graffitied. People leave like crazy Cthulhu mm-hmm. pictures all over it I'm and sure. stuff. Like a Crowley type almost deity in, in that circle. Uh, something about the Northeast. I don't know what it is about Baltimore and Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, and, like, New England. Maine. Yeah, New Ooh. England. Is, well, it's got that gothic, you know, it's very it's gothic Salem, inspired. right? Yeah. Everything it's got, like, is very something. old there because it's like the first, you know, the first colonies of America and whatnot. So everything is older. I remember when I went to Boston, everything was the oldest. This is the oldest bar. This is the oldest, you know, hospital or whatever in America. This is the oldest Eldrick monstrosity in the. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing. I mean, Jacob, while you're in that bar and you're sucking on your opium pipe because it's the the 19th century, are you looking (laughs) out into those reckless waters and going, I wonder what sort of spooky god lives down there? And I'm also very scared of black people, so I'm going to, like, write a bunch of bad stuff about them. Xenophobic (laughs) fan fiction, yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) The Northwest, or Northeast, truly is, uh, who knows, you know, back then you're just looking out and you don't have a good sense of the world around you especially i don't know but i think that would be really is the lovecraft country of the real world is uh you know rhode island right and a couple things i wanted to mention about hp lovecraft obviously the racism that's the big elephant in the room and Mm -hmm. it should be noted like he wasn't just racist like everyone was racist at the time he was like more racist than was even acceptable at the time like according to his friends they weren't even aware of how racist yeah And and later in life he did kind of like um, double back on some of the things he said, I believe. Uh, yeah. But he did also die pretty early. So. Just real quick, if I can read for you guys. So this is the name of the big bad of the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Cthulhu universe. His name is Shuma, S-H-U-M-A. And then I'm not mm-hmm. going to repeat this last part here, but I will spell it out for you. N-I-G-A-R-O-T-H. Now, what oh, does man. that word sound very suspiciously like? Right. And you Another know, he also named his say. cat... <laughs> You should look up the name of his cat, Colin. 
Ooh, well, yeah, I mean, no, that scared me. <laughs> well, there's one thing, right? There's one thing to hold, you know, racist beliefs, right, and keep that private. But he believed into it, believed in it enough to put it into his works and his fictions to explore that side of, like, enough to put it public facing. Let's say, which right. even back then, like, you know, it's still not not everyone's on board with you for being a racist. So he really believed in a lot more than even his contemporaries. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're racist in that time period, like that, you know obviously we're talking like late 18th or 19th century um it was a pretty racist time so to be even more racist than was acceptable at the time mm, gotta be pretty, <laughs> pretty racist <laughs> um but yeah it's not there's no buts for that but but i'm gonna keep saying the word but jesus christ there's a lot of buts here um as we see um explored which is refreshing and we'll get into this on the next segment but lovecraft country itself is inspired by the very idea that H.P. Lovecraft created kind of this whole pop culture mythos that spun off a lot of influential works, but also to rationalize that with this racist side of his personal life. And that's what I like about um, the show. I haven't read the book, but the idea of examining that other side that tends to get overlooked when it's all overshadowed by uh, the god of the elder universe, Cthulhu. Right. Yeah. Um yeah, there is that that scene at the beginning of the episode. But before we get in the uh, the episode, I wanted to mention one other thing that I think is interesting mm-hmm. about Lovecraft, the man. Um, first of all, he died pretty early. I think he was in his forties. Um, and the other thing that's interesting is while he was alive, he never made enough money from writing to like be fully supported on that. Like he wrote for like Pulp Fiction magazines and stuff like that, but he was never recognized as like you know, a great author in his time like that. So it's really interesting to see how his legacy lives on after his death. Mm -hmm. People forget, Jacob, you cannot pick up first editions. You're right. It's Weird Tales magazines where he's like writing letters to his friend Robert E. Howard, creator of Conan the Barbarian, where they're both sort of sharing these pulp universes. And it's kind of more like Playboy where it's these, like, cosmopolitan magazines that are about cartoons, short stories, photographs, weird stuff. Um, right. And he had to have patrons. I mean, he, he didn't make a fucking cent off these things, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So he, and he, yeah, go ahead. I just want to say another note to kind of set up where kind of his horror comes from. It's definitely coming from a personal place to him where, you know, he was kind of like a, he grew up in a rich family, but both of his parents were committed to an insane asylum by the time he was in his 20s. So he kind of lost that status. So to him, he's looking at this world like, why did this happen to me? And that fear of sometimes there's no reason. Shit just happens to what he perceived as good people for no reason. So the scariest thing is this terror that has no agenda or care for human life. And this fear of the other, too. The xenophobia coming into it of forces beyond his control causing him suffering. And totally. the fear that that comes from, whether it's space or the deep or, unfortunately for him, a, a racist kind of angle. But that's right. where it's coming from, uh, is this tragedy that he felt like he didn't deserve to go through. Absolutely. And I think that's um, what's really interesting. He reminds me also of Edgar Allan Poe, who, like, mm. you know, tragedies and sadness in his glug, life reflected glug, glug, glug. in his work, <laughs> um, died young, that kind of thing. Um, but also just The little like, peep of his day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but for someone to, um, you know, still believe in their own art to the point where they're not making enough money to really survive on this, but they still do it, it reminds me, again, of someone like, um, you know, Picasso, who uh, was never, you know, celebrated as an artist in his lifetime, didn't make a lot of money doing it, and died poor. Um, but those kind of things live on. So it's interesting to see, you know, someone like him be remembered in this way. 
Absolutely, and that's kind of where we're at because of the new HBO Max show Lovecraft Country being the biggest kind of thing coming from his works. We were kind of wanting to look at what those works have inspired throughout other areas of pop culture on this episode of Normies Like Us. We're happy to have you along. So uh, right. if you don't mind, wait, hold on. Hello? Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. I just I answered the call of Cthulhu. We'll catch you on the other side here. Uh, Normies Like Us. It's getting cushy. We're back. You answered the call of Cthulhu. We're here talking HP Lovecraft and Lovecraft inspired things. Lovecraftian as a term, right? We have to talk about that, mm. guys. Uh, people do these name terms. It's a Lynchian, it's ooh, Spielbergian. You know, Spielbergian sense of wonder, right? Lynchian sense of surreal. Uh, Lovecraftian mm-hmm. is sort of like it's like a gross. It's like a weird gross horror. If I just had to say to you guys, like, do you have a favorite Lovecraftian thing? It doesn't even just have to be a movie. While we're in this moment, you guys kind of said you like when uh, you know the stuff's adapted. His exact works, the man H.P. You know, there's not. In my opinion, there's not many great direct adaptations. A lot, it's a lot of people taking this loose term, Lovecraftian. Um, and I worry, well, are we all going to just say the Hellboy movies are our favorite? <laughs> Hellboy's good. I was going to say, like, yeah, it's hard to adapt his like short stories and that kind of thing into movies because a lot of it is just kind of like someone retelling something they witnessed in like detail. The but of it's a not maniac, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. kind of with so you it's, there. It, I don't think it would really fit in the narrative structure of a movie too easily. Um, uh, of course, you know, uh, my one of my favorite things that you know I'm going to bring up, uh, motherfucking Bloodborne. Oh, we'll do a whole <laughs> section about Bloodborne later uh, on. You know it. To. Yeah, the, the cosmic horror element is very big. Cosmic in, horror, yeah. yeah. Um, so Bloodborne That's the word. Got That's that Lovecraftian, right, Jacob? Cosmic horror. Yeah, I would say cosmic horror. A lot of times it has like a gothic... Uh, aesthetic to it or like that again i just mm-hmm. think of that new england you know there's that you know poe and that kind of thing um but yeah uh, sorry you made it <laughs> it's, yes that sorry, kind of different po. Po. i see yeah, a, this- a guy covered in salt water he's wearing a pea coat he has an old-timey revolver and he's shooting a squid that's grabbing a woman like that is like what i see blanket yeah. term wise right yeah, definitely. I mean, the the idea of cosmic horror, as I said before, is like some force beyond our understanding, right? That's that's terrifying, especially if it's coming from space or the deep, or it's more ancient than our concept of God or the universe, right? That, that's kind of his brand. Um, right. I like. I think the best Lovecraft thing is I think Creepshow did the thing where Stephen King was acting. There was that story where there's a meteor and it just like turns a guy into a fungus because fuck you, wrong place, wrong time. That's the moral of Lovecraft's story. And Stephen King acted in that uh, adaptation, kind of modified, but the that's the closest, man. I think, yeah. direct I like yeah, translation. Yeah, and I was bringing up Bloodborne just to say, like, you know, in Bloodborne, the game, um, Bloodborne. <laughs> you're playing the game Bloodborne, and you're going around <laughs> doing stuff, killing in Bloodborne, as you do in Bloodborne. Um, but there are these giant cosmic, you know, horrors in the in the sky these these cthulhu like monsters um but you can't even see them at first so you can't see them you get this thing called madness which um (laughs) you know you 
is actually you want to get madness in the game, which is kind of interesting concept. But if you have enough madness, your your third eye is like awakened enough, and then you can see the monsters that were there the whole time, you know, on the sides of buildings and stuff. So that's very Lovecraftian yeah. to me. The idea of a forbidden knowledge that if if you know about these creatures or these things, it'll drive you crazy with the yeah. the dread or just this the sense of insignificance that it will fill you with, right? That's right. Super Lovecraftian, and then. Um, another yeah. another thing that I that a recent thing that I think is Lovecraftian, even if it's not good, but um, the movie Bird Box is is actually Lovecraftian mm. because the idea of these these monsters that you look at and they just immediately make you want to kill yourself I because you just think go about insane. that connection. That's what so they're supposed like... to be like Lovecraftian monsters, but they don't show them in the in the movie. Obviously, but when they take that term of unspeakable horror, or in that sense, unviewable horror, do you guys like that they can get away with just? It's a concept. It's just like a scary concept. Well, we don't even have to tell you what it is. Yeah, that's another reason why it's hard to adapt Lovecraft into movies because the whole point of the the unspeakable horror is that it's so horrifying that to show it, you can never do it justice with CG. Um, like it's never going to look as horrific as you want it to, right? Because the whole concept is we can't even comprehend it and it makes our, us go crazy. So how can you really show that? Because anything that you're going to show is going to, you know, underwhelm. Like Cronenberging is like not even anywhere near the level of like right. crazy that you could imagine. Like no. that's the best that we can do as mere mortals. Right? right. Just to even show anything, even if it's really good effects, really good design, it's just still going to underwhelm because the whole concept is that it's too unspeakable. It's too unviewable to even see. Literally unspeakable, unviewable. Right. So how do we create it with a computer or a puppet? Right. We can't, right. right uh, yeah. They'll try their best, and the latest attempt, if we want to jump into it, is... I think so. Uh, HBO Max. That's yeah, right. Lovecraft, Country. Lovecraft Country. First of all, I'm surprised. Um, HP Lovecraft on the HBO. I figured it would be on the uh, Cthulhu uh, <laughs> subscription service. <laughs> Cthulhu. Hulu. Nice. <laughs> right, not that's HBO. right. Uh, but, <laughs> HBO, yeah, no, it was not on that. Uh, but HBO Max, HP uh, the first episode, it's what we've been able to watch, um, inspired by uh, the 2016 book. Uh, brought, brought to us by Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams. Um, right, they bo- are bo- producing. Both guys right? wear glasses. Yeah, they're producing. There's a show. Um, and we've, too. I don't know their name. Yeah. But we watched the first episode, but as of you hearing this, Normies, the second episode has come out. So we'll be focusing mostly on that for this part. I'll say, real, right off the bat, the thing I was most impressed about, I text you guys, there's the reference of A Princess of Mars, where literally the character says, Ain't no Confederate that's good. You know, if you're an ex-Confederate, you were a Confederate, you're bad. And the lead character mm-hmm. just comes out and says, I believe his name is Atticus, you know, maybe even like Atticus Finch. Um, yeah, right. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not really about the character. It's about the tale, yeah. and you, you can't have this moral judgment. And then I'm sitting there going like, oh, thank you. I feel so much better about liking H.P. Lovecraft now. Right. Well, Colin, mm-hmm. what I like, he said, um, stories are like people, you know, none of, all of them have flaws, but you just got to look past the flaws. And, you know, it's not to say that you're just you're ignoring the flaws, them. but yeah, but you're just, you're trying to love, you know, your loved ones are not perfect, but you still love them anyways, despite their flaws. So I think a good story is similar to that. That's a really good scene. Giving everybody at home a nice exhale, like, okay, I'm not writing. a bad person right. for liking, you know, the call of Cthulhu. But actually, but yeah, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, what I really like about this show is that it is is kind of subverting, you know, the Lovecraft, um, you know, that we knew because um, it's, you know, it's an unapologetically black show. It's very 
um, you know, not subtle about what it's saying about racism and that kind of thing in America. Um, so to take, so to subvert H.P. Lovecraft, who was a racist, and make a show called Lovecraft Country that's a, a black-led cast and everything, um, I think it's great. And I also like how you know HBO is kind of just yearly their yearly thing is they're just educating us on something that like you know our school system <laughs> may, may have failed us on like last year it was the Tulsa massacre in Watchmen this year it's sundown towns which are a real thing and wow. what's crazy mm-hmm. is they they're a real thing to this day like i know this is set like you know in the um early after 1900s. the korean war in the 50s yeah yep. but um you know and they're very prevalent then but they still exist today in you know parts of the deep south and stuff it's a real thing so um yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the fact that like you know this was this was a thing and this still is a thing today. Like the KKK is still very real in this country. Um, so I like that it's exploring these things. And, and how about that the people. only unspeakable horror, quote unquote, of the first episode is is this car going to get away from these racists? Yeah, yeah. the The ability to take um, kind of the scariest thing being like the racists pursuing them and kind of this attitude, this backwards attitude of people at the time. And one, putting that at the forefront, but two, making it to a point where you feel so much fear, you know, at the point where they're being held up in the woods by those policemen, that you're relieved when an actual cosmic horror comes to save the day. Like, how weird is that, that you're more scared of the policemen for a moment than right. the cosmic horror? It's It really shows the strength of the writing and setting up those yeah, uh, the villains and the tension. I mean, it's a very tense scene when they're like, you know, you have seven minutes to get out of this county, blah blah blah, and they're like, the slowest and scariest car chase I've ever seen. Yeah, them, right? speed. They can't exceed the speed limit. Yeah, it's wild, and we're gonna maybe be jumping around. There will be spoilers. Um, I do appreciate bringing up stuff like you said, Jacob. Like, you know, as a kid, you don't you take a road trip. You never think for a minute that, you know, me, you know, growing up as you know a Caucasian kid in you know Midwest suburb, it's like. Oh, you would need a map that shows you where it's safe to take your freaking road trip. Right. And just the idea of that and like wow. giving me a new kind of perspective uh, on things is, is really what I'm enjoying yeah. as well. And that, that map, that guide that they're talking about was a real thing called The Green Book, um, which you know, might know a movie called The Green Book. Um, but <laughs> Heard about it. But that's a real thing uh, that, that, that um, you know, black people had to use to know what towns were safe to be in after the sun went down. It's just like mind blowing to think that like these are still problems that affect us not as outwardly as in the fifties, but are still a problem in this country today. When he knows the racist sheriff's name because he's been tipped off because of the clues in the mm-hmm. green book. How'd you know that? Oh, oh my I didn't even God. pick up on that column. Yeah, wow. yeah. It is so brutal. He's and like, the way they keep calling name? it Tom's guide, I believe they keep calling it too. Look at Tom's guide. Look at Tom's guide. Right. You're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's and like, yeah, it's it's really well written. Like I said, I haven't read the book, which now I probably should or get it on Audible, our sponsor. Not really, but you can. Reach out, Audible. Um, <laughs> the, answer the call of the Cthulhu. Give us a ring. Um, it, it, it's exciting. I really love the first episode, the amount of tension created just in the environment. And that's not even hardly seeing any of the Lovecraft-inspired stuff at all, barely. Just that alone is compelling enough of a drama touched on the drama but how about the sci-fi elements did you guys like that crazy opening yeah i mean jackie robinson killing cthulhu <laughs> it was yeah it was good it was like a you know a daydream that he's having right um i was gonna say i'm surprised at how much actually happens in this first episode um i really didn't expect all that like to actually see the monsters and stuff in the very first episode 
um, that whole last like half hour of the show is just very well done, very tense. I do have mixed feelings about just out the gate showing Cthulhu flying through the air and the <laughs> War of the Worlds tripods and you know the the Centurion women. It's like I, I don't know if I wanted it to come out of the gate, but they already did it with the trailers. So I don't right. know how do you but guys feel about that? That's all a daydream kinda... that he's having, right? So it's like. You know, he, and showing that he's interested in all yeah, the sci-fi. Yeah, he's reading all these but, pulp, yeah. pulp science fiction books and stuff. That's kind of where his mind's at. So he's Well, it's kind of one of a kind, though. I would say better than pulp, Jacob. You get those terms. Pulp fiction, that was kind of like, you know, yellow-stained, seedy detective stories. Penny dreadfuls, right? That's what even somebody could mm. call his stories. Not really penny dreadfuls were like Dracula ripoffs and stuff. H.P. Lovecraft, the weird tales that we talked about, those magazines, that was the War of the Worlds, the John Carters, the things like that, where you're like, this is so specific in that he loves that stuff in that era. And the little girl's a comic book artist. It's like, it's got all this great nerd pop culture stuff in it that I'm like, this is one of a kind. And even when they mention like, you know, his, you know, his female friend who he runs into after not seeing and they're like, oh, you were the only, you know, girl in the, the, what do you, was it the Nerd science club fiction club of their high school? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like in the day, like those were, 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 you know, not seen like as high art, those kind of books and science fiction and stuff. They were just seen as like mass entertainment. They were seen lowbrow. Um, so it's interesting to kind of, you know, highlight that now. Yeah, and the idea that most of those coming out at the time were generally, you know, having white protagonists and things and kind of having a perspective of a fan of those books, reading them and interpreting them their own way. And like you said, kind of cherishing them, even though John Carter was a Confederate soldier, things like that. A new perspective, new knowledge, and and thankfully not forbidden. Mike, do you think that's why he has to self-insert Jackie Robinson into the story just as an African-American to say this is kind of the only hero we could point to? Well, he would have been one of, of the time. Yeah, he sense. would have been one of the yeah. most visible at the time. I mean, this is an age where you know segregation was still very a big thing. So, like you know, there weren't black celebrities, or there were very few that really got the mainstream appeal, like jazz musicians or someone like that. But um, you know, they a lot of you know it was still a very very outwardly racist place, America. So, but Harrison Ford was figuring it out because he's in that Jackie Robinson movie with Chadwick Boseman. yeah there we go but yeah i think this is an important kind of time period to be showing again much like with the watchman like kind of re-educating kind of resetting our our configuration especially as people who um don't have this kind of history or cultural background to where we grew up with it now we can have a deeper understanding of something through entertaining media and you know with the great writing and the characters it's like it's so easy to get sucked in and uh I appreciate the attention to detail and the quality of the first episode for sure. Yeah, I'm loving the the um, just talking about the technical aspects. I, I I love the acting is great. I'm a big fan of all the cast so far. The writing is really good, and um, you know the cinematography, the editing, everything is working really well for me. So I'm excited to see where the story goes for sure. And I just found out I didn't realize that Michael K. Williams is going to be playing his dad. So I'm yeah, really you got Courtney for that. B. Vance and Michael K. Williams as brothers. I mean, that's a pretty cool cast. Yeah, I love Michael K. Williams and everything that he's in. So I'm very excited for that. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, the the also the strained relationship with his father because he decided to go fight in the war for a country that doesn't even care about him in the eyes of his father, and that kind of also point of view on things. It's. You know, it's a lot to kind of think about and put into perspective. Um, 
yeah as a general audience which which is nice to see like something that doesn't it's not like it's going crazy edgy or like pushing anything it's just it's just showing it as it is and not trying to play it safe for any other reason it's just here's here's our story and we're gonna we're gonna tell right. it but mike you do have that go woke go broke tattoo that you keep flashing to us as we uh, <laughs> talk about this now i haven't even seen too much fucking <laughs> no, no. criticism about that i'm very happy just leave it alone it's a cool nice thing yeah people are and everybody knew oh, i'm saying about lovecraft's issues personally so it's just great to have let's let's explore some of these ideas right. these pulp stories of the time through a different lens and I, I love this concept, and I, I said it on the Comic-Con episode, and I have not been disappointed with episode one, and probably not episode two. I'm just going to say it. I loved episode two, guys. <laughs> I <laughs> hate your it. shot. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and for the fences. Um, speaking of the cast again, I, I'm not super familiar with the main guy, um, uh, but the, uh, the, the, um, the main female character, um, Journey Smollett, who you probably will recognize as being in Birds of Prey recently, um, I thought she was really good, and they're, what they're doing with her character is interesting. I thought one slight criticism I had was that they're kind of... It was very convenient how they were all kind of, like, going in the same car, like, oh, she's coming too, and it's like they just kind of re-met after a while. They're kind of pushing the love love angle a little quickly. I thought they were kind of... I mean, they show them building chemistry over the episode, but I was just surprised at how much, like, the story seems to progress just in the first episode with their relationship and everything. But I really like how, you know, even at the end, like, she has to run back to the car and stuff, and they're already, you know, doing interesting things with her character that I like. I almost don't like the self-referential nature of it as well, Jacob, where it's like, the story's about a people on an adventure who come together and have to overcome things. And I'm like, yeah, I know, that's what you guys are doing too, I get it. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any... Anything that really messed with me on the first episode from like a technical or writing standpoint, I, I didn't really have an issue. I think her character's name is uh, Leticia. Yeah. And she's she's fine. Uh, I do like the track star angle. I just don't know if I would have... I, I guess you have to show the monsters in his daydream, but maybe I would have saved the CG for for the woods. Well, we don't you know... show him having the books. Yeah, the yeah. monsters, like he sees the Cthulhu in his daydream. We don't know if we're even going to have a Cthulhu monster or anything like that, really. Um... Well, the marketing begs to differ, but, you know, I think the marketing is my biggest issue right, but because the marketing I think they're kind of selling the farm. Yeah, the marketing shows that shot, but it, it's his daydream, so it's kind of like a fake-out because um, it's not actually something that happened. I mean, maybe it'll happen later in the season. The posters, there's nothing but tentacles, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, they um, got to so. sell the Lovecraftian angle, but that doesn't necessarily Spooky. mean there's going to be a Cthulhu in the show because it's really it's just based on the book which is called lovecraft country but that doesn't mean it's specifically going to be lovecraft monsters you know what i mean right right and again the book is a series of short stories that are loosely connected obviously they have done some adaptation to create a through line for this thing we keep Mm. saying the past you guys think they'll stay in the 50s i could very well see by the end of the season they've jumped to present times or you know some other weird thing well, that's kind of what I love is that I have no idea where the story is going. I know it has something to do with, you know, his father and their relationship and some kind of, um, you know, family birthright. birthright that he doesn't know about. And then he goes at the end, they show up at this mansion and there's those white people that are there. And I don't Aryans, know what's going on there. <laughs> fucking Nazis, yeah. you would assume. Yeah. So are we getting into so, some Wolfenstein stuff? Or are we going Seems like some towards... kind of cult. Like maybe it's like a Lovecraftian cult or something like that that his dad's got involved in. I'm not sure where it's going. But and they I'm, have I'm to use like. So. I'll have to see. 
But you think like black guys as sacrifices to bring down Cthulhu <laughs> oh, or something? Maybe. Like that's kind of my big fear. Very, and I uh, could see that. Yeah, 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 very much so. And we we should bring up the Jordan Peele of it all, of course, as well. Exactly, producer. producer. Right. And JJ, which I have mixed. Oh, uh, when I saw about. that Jordan bad Peele, robot show up at the end, guys, I was <laughs> yeah. fucking shaking my fist. I was like, "What are you Get prepared for?" A, a terrible. Well, ending. that's what I'm worried yeah. about is because it is. I can see the elements of his, you know, his mystery box storytelling, right? Which is to show a bunch of stuff at the beginning that's like, "Oh, this is weird." Like we don't know where this is going to go, and then the end is always a letdown. That's kind of JJ's thing. So hopefully, it kind of avoids those pitfalls, but we'll see. Right. right, and he's not. I mean, he's directing an episode, and so is ah. Jordan Peele. But he's not, you know, directing everything and you know steering the ship right. wholesale. And so. I'm pretty happy. I mean, with Jordan Peele, he's got his hand in a lot of things. You know, the new Twilight Zone, um, you know, new movies and stuff. The new uh, Candyman movie that's that's coming out that he's exec producing. So he's he's promoting a lot of stuff that I think is really good. So I'm, I'm he's found happy that voice. Him. I think right. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The monkey paw productions or whatever it's called um, he's doing you know horror and he's not a you know he's 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 raising up other you know black directors and people that may may not get a shot in in hollywood as as easily without him there so love it love to see it making horror fun again yeah good stuff so yeah, I think episode two, I already told you I loved it. <laughs> I hated it. But we'll see what happens next week. Yeah, Jacob hated it. Never watching this show two, again. When Cthulhu started playing a banjo. And, Mike, uh, any future guesses? Do you think it'll jump ahead in time? Or do you think there will be any, you know, it, will it will it reference other Cthulhu stuff? Or other Cthulhu stuff. Other Lovecraft stuff. Because hmm. you mentioned it before. But even things like if they used reanimator juice. You know, if there was some sort of, mm-hmm. like, cosmic egg, if there's anything that involves, like, gateways to other dimensions or hell mouse, quote-unquote, a term that he invented as well. Right. Yeah, it, yeah. it goes beyond, like, big squid-headed monsters, we should right. say. Yeah, well, the deep. I mean, you could, you got fish people, too. Maybe we'll get to see some fish yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And That's what I want. I mean, we did see the, the Shoggoths. Um, you know, those monsters with, with a bunch of eyes That's all over called, them. That's right? what he called like An he was foreshadowing. Blob. Like, yeah. Right. Um, so I don't know if these are these monsters are like manifestations of his mind or something or if they're real. So I'm hoping we'll get eventually, you know, some kind of explanation of why oh. there are monsters and that kind of thing. Um, but again he's saying like they didn't show up until the sun went down. So I feel like it's some kind of allegory with racism. I mean they're not very subtle about racism being a very important you know, theme in this show. So, but I'm very interested to see where it goes. But do you think, well, I figured that was just the monsters only come out at night, Ooh. like as a phys- like a bio, biology, biology, sorry. Right. Well, I didn't think about it until you just said tongue. it, but do you think it could be the, it was all just a dream. We'll get flashbacks of him killing the racist sheriff. You know, he, you went crazy. You, oh, you shit. acted out, blah, blah, blah. There wasn't anything tackling him go in the water. I don't think it's going to go that way, but I feel like I something not. like, you know, the the monsters are some kind of manifestation of the evils in the world, like racism and stuff. Something like that. I'm not really sure. I mean, it's kind of so open-ended right now. It could go a number of different ways. There, some truth will be discovered that um, yeah. is beyond the scope of understanding but I think there's, to a point where there's it, more to these monsters it changes than, their relationship with reality. Yeah, I just think there's more to the monsters than ju- them just being monsters that randomly show up in the woods. Um, because even though sheriffs had never seen anything like them, and they're, they're probably in those woods at night before, so 
like I feel like they are some there's going to be some connection there to the themes of the show I believe yeah no, we'll have to wait and see but so far loving it I I, I give it a smash Colin smash or pass I give, it, Lovecraft I give it a uh, five crafts I give Lovecraft Country five crafts out of five loves <laughs> you give it a love or a craft <laughs> yeah I, I'll give it a, a craft or a smash or whatever <laughs> yeah alright a, a craft smash do you want to talk about a couple other kind of a Lovecraft uh, influence or inspired films, TV show stuff? I know we had The Color Out of Space recently with uh, Nicolas Cage. Cage. Did anybody else see this? I, I, it was recommended to me, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, so. I'm, uh, I haven't seen it, but I saw the trailer when it, when it was out, and I was like, ooh, that looks interesting. So I, I have to check it out at some point for sure. It's one of these things where it's on my dad's radar immediately because it's in this dumb fucking short story H.P. Uh, Lovecraft book he bought in bulk at Costco and sent me and my brother each a copy. He purchased three of them. Uh, and you look and see Color Out of Space, and he hated it. He's like, what is this, the cheapest fucking movie oh, wow. ever made? He tells me not to watch it. Of course I do. It's on Amazon Prime. It's bullshit, guys. It's fucking terrible. It's not <laughs> crazy cage. It's... Right hyper cage who never gets to do anything so i wouldn't even recommend it to my cage heads out there mm. yeah, it's oh, not geez. like vampire's kiss <laughs> level of crazy cage <laughs> no. or mandy yeah no not even close mandy i would even maybe say is kind of a lovecraftian movie if you kind of think about it with the intense colors the reanimated zombie mountains bikers in the mountains of madness fuck guys when we talk about direct adaptations that guillermo del toro adaptation of in the mouse of madness or in the mountains of madness was that the best shot we ever had at kind of a great lovecraft movie i think so yeah i mean del toro obviously is very interested um in these kind of things obviously you know hellboy um you know he made the fucking fish fish monster movie even shape of water yeah yeah shape of water yeah yeah. um so yeah i he would probably love to do it he just can't i guess can't get it off the ground he's been wanting to make it for years and it's just been in in development hell so i don't know if we'll ever see that that'll ever see the light of day or what but whatever del toro wants to make i'm always going to be in in, interested so and even actually even with pacific rim you could say like the uh you know the kaiju wow very true some crossover it's literally the hell mouth that they come through the fact that they're squid Mm -hmm. monsters um, just because you just said it, I gotta tell a quick story real quick. The fishman aspect. Yeah. Their their official name <laughs> in H.P. Lovecraft lore is a Dagon, a D-A-G-O-N. So okay. I'm watching the movie underwater. Spoilers. It's a 2020 film that just came out. I hope you guys don't care that I'm spoiling a bit of it. Oh wow. The twist is that there's a a Lovecraft connection, right? Mm. The cool hook Whoa. on the movie is that there's these monsters that are essentially like your arm from the elbow up, right? There's like these little baby Mm -hmm. squids that can just grab you, these little thing arms that grab you, right? Mm -hmm. Those things go into a body that is a full Dagon. I'm texting my dad and I'm like, oh, there's like this cool, like, you know, there's these Lovecraft hints and stuff and there's these other sea monsters, there's a Cthulhu. And he goes, yeah, but what'd you think of the Dagon? I'm like, what the fuck is a Dagon? <laughs> so I like Google it. Immediately named yeah, and I was it? like, wow, you just knew the HP Lovecraft monster from it. But the cool thing about the underwater version of it is, so if the Dagon's hand is its own separate monster, the Dagon is almost like a hand to the Cthulhu, 
When you see the giant squid monster, it is made up of mm -hmm. millions of other little monsters that are also made up of little millions of other monsters. And I just thought right. that's such a cool take on that. That is pretty yeah. cool, actually. Yeah, it's like uh, horrible Voltrons. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> And something with Lovecraft, a, um, a lot of, you know, Lovecraft-inspired stuff has to do with cults, like, um, you know, Ugh. cults that are worshipping, you know, Cthulhu and that kind of thing. So that's why I'm saying I think maybe the show will have a cult, like these, you know, the house they go to at the end is some kind of cult. Um, oh, but I was thinking there's, there's always this imagery, Jacob, where it's like they'll look at the map of the mansion and they'll be like, wait, did you realize if we draw from the from the maze to the this to the backyard it's a it's an upside down pentagram oh my god it's we're about to open a portal <laughs> it's always stuff like that right well i was it's like supernatural season six and seven <laughs> level of uh, the train tracks make a pentagram sammy <laughs> um <laughs> yeah um there's but like Joe. yeah when you were talking about the dagons i was just thinking about <laughs> um there's this video game that came out in 2019 that is um all based on lovecraft um, it's called The Sinking City, um, and it's an open-world detective game. Um, it's made by Frogwares, which are kind of known for, for, since the 90s, making these like point-and-click Sherlock Holmes detective games and stuff like that. But this one is inspired by Lovecraft, and it takes place in like a fishing town in Massachusetts. Uh, and, you know, this, this, this you know, drunk uh, detective has to go there and solve a crime, and then he gets wrapped up in this whole... Um, you know, ritual cult of the old ones and there's fish people and everything else. So it's, it's, it just, you know, it's very cool. Well, no, that sounds about right because I think I'm ready to dive into the video game section. In fact, it reminds me of another game that has fish people. It might start with a B and rhymes with Hudborn. <laughs> uh, let's jump into the video games right after this. I don't know like this. We're back talking HP Lovecraft on Normies Like Us. You're listening to the new gods, Colin, Jacob, and Mike here while we talk about the elder gods. Uh, but it's we're pronounced. Talking about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, Mike, they were so. Refer I, had to me as so <laughs> I had so much fear when you're a nine year old and your dad is telling you these are his favorite books and he hands it to you and the words are Eldritch Horror and it's E-L-D-I-R-I-T-C-H and you're like I can't pronounce that and then you open it and it's Cthulhu you're like yep. I can't pronounce that either yeah um, you have, have to write my name down on a you know kindergarten name badge and it's just <laughs> scr scribblings yeah it's scribblings of a madman just like our That's hero right. here H.P. Lovecraft uh, and we're a couple of virgins too, right? <laughs> Even though he was a married guy, hated sex, uh, probably would have hated <laughs> the, video the OG incel. <laughs> Even as an OG, it's incel. probably asexual or something like that. They just never uh, came for a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so he probably wouldn't like us talking about this stuff. But we're we're here. We're talking about the video games. There's a rich history of Lovecraftian lore in video games. Yeah, and as Jacob was just telling us about the fish people. Um, from Frogwares. Yeah, so they, they made a game called The Sinking City. There's mm -hmm. also um, a, a video game called Call of Cthulhu. So obviously there's the tabletop, very um, somewhat popular tabletop role-playing game of Call of Cthulhu. Well, this was a video game based on that that came mm -hmm. out in 2018. Um, it was originally ma being made by Frogwares, but then I think that got 
um, canceled and uh, another company called Focus Home Interactive took it over, which also does kind of those point and click um, Sherlock Holmes games. Uh, but they're also like known for farming simulators, so they don't have too much going for them. But they made Call of Cthulhu video game, which is an RPG based on you know the Call of Cthulhu. Um, it's got the Necronomicon and everything in it. So um, oh yeah, Necronomicon. Yeah, that's another big Lovecraft uh, thing that shows up a ton in different in horror. Where things, is Joe know. indeed? That's right. We we need the Evil Dead talk, you know. Um, but yeah, so if you're interested in these kind of Lovecraft games, I might check the. Call of Cthulhu or the Sinking City out if you like uh, RPGs like that. Um, you might like them. They have mixed reviews, so I don't know how good they are. Gamers might not know and realize uh, if you don't play a lot of tabletops that there are these things called systems. You, you come up with the basic rules of video games, and then you just run these different systems. So doing it, you're playing Dungeons & Dragons in a Cthulhu, HP Lovecraft-inspired world, and Mike, as our tabletop guy, which I'm fucking calling you right now, go ahead. Does that appeal to you? <laughs> I think you guys are I mean, both like, tabletop guys. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I I can say without a doubt, I've never had experience with this sort of world. I couldn't even imagine uh, separating building characters that weren't mages to what I assume are like private detectives on the edge. It's like the Basically, archetype yeah. <laughs> character that you play. Like, do you have any experience with this or well, interest in it, Mike? Well, I mean, personally, I like the idea that D&D is so modular that you can create anything. I mean, you could do a Star Wars campaign if you wanted. You could do a Marvel Ultimate Alliance, there's our one uh, campaign. But yeah, I think this is a good setting. And also for video games, too. I mean, D&D proper has mind flayers, which are definitely like, you know, uh, Lovecraftian creatures that'll, you know, eat your brain and drive you crazy, turn you into one of them. They look like octopuses, so... The DNA was always there. It's just like when they did um, Ravenloft with the Curse of Strahd and stuff. What if we just did more vampire-y stuff in this area? What if we just did more Lovecraft-y stuff over here? So I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I guess I could be down with it because much like Bloodborne, the idea of eldritch monstrosities in this New England setting that's very spooky, it could be really fun to kind of role-play as a weird steampunk detective guy yeah. or gal. Yeah, I mean, I um, personally, I've never played it before, but I've always been interested in uh, it and wanting to play it. Um, so I did look into it a little bit, and it looks very interesting. I mean, it's similar to D&D. It uses, you know, a slightly different, you know, like you said, that you all use different rule systems with how you build your character and that kind of thing. Um, Call of Cthulhu does have um, sanity, which is a very important thing. So the more or less sanity you have affects you um, in-game. Um, but basically, you know, there's the game master that instead of being called a dungeon master, you're called the keeper of arcane lore. And then all, <laughs> all like the other that. players are Okay, so hold on. We're doing that right now. I am the keeper of arcane lore. All right, so Jacob, your detective Xander opens the door and walks down the pier to the fishmonger. I'm going to have to ask you to roll a sanity check because they yeah. just opened up the Necronomicon <laughs> and they unleashed the Eldritch Demon. What do you that's, do? <laughs> that's exactly what, that's exactly what it's like, Con. And um, I guess I'd a like dagon that. begins to emerge from the depths. You yeah, hear I would be I mean, otherworldly cries. I would be really interested in playing something like that. I don't necessarily want to be the the keeper of the arcane lore, but I would definitely be the <laughs> investigator. Um, but yeah, basically you get sanity points and that kind of can determine um, 
you know how much you can see, see or or intuit about different things. It's almost um, like an insight in a standard D and D, right? Like yeah, it, it yeah. you have you found of, out that the world is bullshit. Roll to uncover the real truth. <laughs> yeah, and I'm seeing here that it has a reputation. <laughs> as a game in which it is quite common for the player character to die in gruesome circumstances or end up in a mental institution. <laughs> sounds the eventual about right. triumph of the player is not assumed. So that sounds Jacob, really Detective Xander failed that role. The police are coming to lock you in the Ravencroot <laughs> Institute. What do you do? The Arkham Asylum, as it were. <laughs> totally, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, Arkham reference in the Lovecraft Country and like even Batman bit For off that sure. word um, right so if either of my two dm friends that i'm talking to right now were ever interested in setting up a game with that you know, keepers of arcane knowledge please. mike i feel like if you call yourself keeper of arcane knowledge even one time you will get like hit by lightning as you say it like something <laughs> my, will happen to you my glasses frames are turning brass as we speak i'm getting a monocle <laughs> it's, it's getting a top hat it's emerging from my head yeah, just imagine so all the crazy steampunk Crowley's stuff you come up with. It would be amazing. I'll, I'll be the fish. Um, I, my character would be like a, 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 a I would be like a psychiatrist who uh, was disgraced for um, doing some shady things in his practice, and now I yes. have to like take contracts under the table because I can't get a medical license. That would be my character. I'll be I a would fish be... to turn into a person. <laughs> well, yes, of course. He doesn't understand. I would be the useless blonde woman that they meet in every one of these stories who <laughs> passes on a bit of knowledge to the hero before getting either raped or succumbing to some other horror. Right. Some other. I'll, I'll be Cthulhu. Mike, I, ro- I just rolled perfect stats. Um, I'd be like, Mike, it would be like if you could play as Tiamat. Or if, or if everybody oh, God, just like, yes. knew that's what you were heading towards. It's so interesting that it's like. I mean, I would imagine every one of them, the final encounter is, there's Cthulhu. Like, yeah, just go go do whatever you gotta do to Cthulhu. Well, that's interesting that you, you mentioned that, because, like, you know, let's bring it to the old Bloodborne table here. Like, spoiler alert, everyone at home, the good ending of Bloodborne is you get reincarnated as a space moon larvae. That's the good ending, is you become a moon space larvae right. baby. That's my religion, Mike. That's what I believe <laughs> yeah. will happen to me if I'm good when I die. You don't try to stay human or, like, be reborn. You just become a space baby. <laughs> like, that's it. You know, give up humanity right. and Earth. This is beneath you now, right? It's very weird. Yeah. Um, as uh, much as I like Bloodborne, I never, you know... T- totally understood the story the true uh, ending. <laughs> it's a little confusing a it's a lot about the blood statement. blood is a big part of it um the hunt you know things like that yeah but from software has had a fascination with uh lovecraft even as early as demon souls where um there's a being known as the old one that is awakening and is threatening to destroy everything and its design is very eldritch in nature and um there's a false king and you know the main king was trying to achieve all this power through like arcane arts and like corrupt knowledge right and once he attained the power there's a facsimile of him but when you find the actual body of the king who did this he's all mutilated and turned into a slug monster and looks like yeah. he's just suffering and the final fight is him like barely flailing around it's like an anti-climax so it's showing like yeah you amass this power and this knowledge but at what cost so they were doing like 
Lovecraft stuff with Demon Souls. And then Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 has a cult that worship is the Deep and the Deep Ones, and we don't even know much about them, but that's very Lovecraft. And there's so fish people in Bloodborne. Yeah, so definitely, you know, Miyazaki seems like he was very inspired by, you know, that Lovecraft mm-hmm. as well. What well, can we say the other Miyazaki too? I, I want your opinion, Mike. Heyo. Um, heyo. Uh, <laughs> about, uh, I think you've said it before, but the Bloodborne mm-hmm. shift of how bosses operated to number three, where in Dark Souls 3 they get these sort of black tentacles and stuff, you know, and they come back and they become these Cthulhu yeah. monsters. What I just realized too, and why I say the other Miyazaki. I always liked in Princess Mononoke, you know, the opening fight when the boar god is covered in these Lovecraftian tentacles. Right? Yeah, almost the same as these Dark Souls bosses. And even like the the forest god kind of transcends and becomes this space ethereal power to like fix and also kill everything. You know, it's like it's creating this almost Thanos-like balance. But that thing is all transparent and like otherworldly looking. Um, when they kill the forest god, so yeah, there's definitely some inspiration for Heiau as well. And I never made that connection until now, but you're totally right. Totally. East and West, they love him, except for That's right. his racism. I got my Miyazaki poster right here, and I got my Cthulhu oh. poster right here. And it's, I see it is. It's kissing the 2016 Cthulhu poster. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, They're yeah, merging. Yeah, there we go. But yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of you know Lovecraft in video games just in general, I think. as Just like his ideas are almost better than the stories. You know, and that seems to leak its way into games a lot more often. Mike, as a Doom Boy, Hell Spawns versus Quake has Cthulhu myth, they say. I was really not familiar with that, but they say it is more in tune to that. Or are you kind of on that wavelength? I, I didn't play a ton of Quake, but obviously, like, Doom is explicitly hell coming through. And uh, I think the Quake monster design and aesthetic, now that it's being described to me as Lovecraftian... Being vaguely familiar with it, I guess I could understand that. The monsters are a little bit more, like, weird-shaped, and maybe, maybe I could get down with it. Maybe, yeah. But I would need more experience. You know, just because Lovecraft is so ingrained in horror from, you know, his time on, so even things that aren't specifically Lovecraftian, they can take elements, like, in the monster design and stuff that um, you can just see everywhere, you know? Um, it's, 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 It's almost like, you know, you think about, like, you know, things might seem stereotypical or something like that but only because like he invented like these concepts that that are so standard in horror today by the time go ahead well by the time we're getting to re4 to jacob's point it's like the influence is so in the dna that they're they're not trying to rip it off when they introduce the ouroboros and it's a town that's a mysterious cult that's against the one white guy investigating it like it's just like they're they're like they're not purposely doing those things but it's right. so it's just so the mold and model that you would almost have to follow those tropes just to tell the story that they are trying to tell right i mean like, if you go back to early um, D&D, um, there's, like, a module that Gygax did, I believe, called Cult of the Reptile God. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, a very similar thing where there's a small town. Everyone's been, like, going missing for a while. You're wondering what's up. The people that are there now are kind of weird. And then you go investigate, and there like, been people worshipping this reptile god that's been mind-controlling everyone. And it's like, oh, shit, you know, you got to overthrow it. So substitute that with fish... Totally. And it's Lovecraft, you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And and maybe that's another reason Lovecraft <laughs> stuff... Yeah. It, it's so, literally, so. like, that same thing. 
But, you know, even the mind flayers that were just kind of... This is a Cthulhu mini. They look kind of like Davy Jones from that Pirates movie. Like, D&D then gets ripped off to make every RPG ever from Final Fantasy to right. Morrowind and Elder Scrolls. So C-C-R-P-G's it's just going to be like in there. Baldur's Gate. Like, Baldur's Gate was, like, literally made mm-hmm. with the D&D 2.5 rule set. And, like, those early PC RPGs... Um, were literally, you know, tabletop campaigns that they converted into video games. So, you know, if something seems like stereotypical now, it's only because, like, you know, of the influences, I guess. Yeah, because tabletop games were just t- stealing from everything around them. They even had to shut down <laughs> the the gods and something Pantheon book that was, like, basically ripping off Greek gods and stuff. They had to take it out of print because they were basically oh, just you copying bastards. ideas. But it's <laughs> sure. like, yeah, let's take a little bit of Lovecraft and some Tolkien, and right. yeah, we'll just make our, our little game, and then that made its way into other tabletops and other game systems, as Colin point out, bringing it full circle. Look at how good we are God. at hosting a show, everybody. I'm right, so it's interesting you I'm, mentioned... I'm for it, guys. <laughs> mentioning Tolkien, it's interesting because those, like, Lovecraft and Tolkien really are kind of the two biggest influences on, like... Modern mythos. Modern mythos, fantasy, horror, like, everything these days, like, t- probably takes something from one of those two influences, if you think about it. Maybe that is the true forbidden knowledge. You know what? Now that you mention it, Tolkien, Lovecraft, both authors, maybe it's time to take a look things on the printed page let's open up this necronomicon here and see about the uh the word on paper Love don't crap. do it mike no. This guy's got a lot of books, guys. I'm just going to come in here. Uh, I'm looking at the short stories by H.P. Lovecraft, and there's like at least almost every letter of the alphabet has multiple entries. We're looking at like a couple hundred, and I've never read any of them. Yeah. Well, if you're thinking about, you know, he would get these published in these magazines, like Weird Science and stuff or whatever you said, Colin. Like, so he, he wasn't necessarily writing novels and stuff as much. He was writing short stories. So he just has a lot of very different short stories and things like that. Which kind of... And again... Well, I would say the style is such in need of criticism. And again, to Jacob's point, it's a lot of stuff that's like a guy telling a story where the first four pages that he gets into the magazine are just the setup of, I'm in this room, I'm telling a story, this is what's happening, where the last page is action, and then it would cut to a sort of to be continued to make you buy more. So in the novelizations, they're almost worthless. That's why you see more adaptations that just use the name Lovecraft. They're not direct right. to these stories. Well, that's why I would argue, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily... I think more important than direct adaptations are just the influences and how they're so so prevalent now. Because really the stories themselves wouldn't be that interested in, in a TV show or a movie or something like that. But, you know, the elements are what make it interesting. Yeah, and that makes its way into, like we said, a lot of pop culture. But uh, comic books, too. Uh, I think notably we talked about the Hellboy movies, but I mean... There's some interesting yes. stuff there, too, especially with the Hellmouth literally opening up. And the comics are literally frogs are the bad guys. <laughs> they are, <laughs> you know, these uh, soldiers of the Ogdru Jihad, which is the dragon of the end, who is the original god of Cthulhu. 
you're like, okay, Mike Manola. <laughs> like, all right, man. I just kind of want to watch Hellboy drink a beer. But, you know, it's all fucking cool mythos if you're down for that. I think it's some of the most interesting comics ever read. Um, you know, but do you guys, when you see the movies, we mentioned it. Guillermo del Toro is so interested in that stuff. Does it come across good when he is doing the visualizations of Rasputin and that first one opening up the Ogdru Jihad and you see the tentacles come down and all that glory, gory goodness? Mm. I think he's always done a great job with that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, you know, now that you're mentioning it, Colin, I kind of want to rewatch the first two Hellboy movies because it's been a while since I've seen them, but um, I just remember really liking the visuals and everything in those. And even the second one, I think the second one has some really nice-looking visuals. Um, it might not be as, as appreciated. I don't know which one people or critics like more. Um, I'll say they're both better than the new one, but... Right, well, even, um, like, the design of very Samuel. Light on him. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Kind of has Samuel. has a Lovecraftian vibe. It's ancient, oh, you know. Mike, he is a he is you know like a, a a hound dog essentially of the Cthulhu myth. I mean, there he's truly stealing direct stuff and using it. It's it's cool. Yeah, I, I think that's what we're like ending up on. Um, is like because of short stories, like the ideas are more fascinating than the actual maybe text on the page. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yes, and I would say the artwork on the page. So when you mm-hmm. have the Mike Manola stuff, it's all very vague, you know. Uh, again, the newest Hellboy movie, it's not really adapting it. You look at other comics, like say, all have adaptations, by the way, all the ones that we're going to talk about right now. <laughs> Chilling Tales of Sabrina, right? The horror comic by Roberto Aguirre Sacase, very Lovecraftian. In the final season that they just released, there is literally a character who says the bad guys for the next season are going to be eldritch gods. <laughs> like, he steals an egg from a Cthulhu from, I gotta say, if we're talking about Jacob Good visuals in the first Hellboy, you see you see a swamp creature in Sabrina come out of the water that almost looks Scooby-Doo live-action level, and he, like, wow. sombers out, like, he's from the Black Lagoon, hands over an egg, disappears back into the ground, and a guy goes, oh, great Lord Cthulhu, we worship thee, and you're like, this is the worst. Colin, you know, I didn't even know that was based on a comic. I thought that was just based on the, you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch show, and they just made it darker and, and edgy Ooh, for modern edgy. audiences. <laughs> now so it's all very hell-based, and, you know, that fear of the heavy metal 80s is distilled right. by this incredible writer uh, who the also did the, the zombie Archie stuff. Like, he got his own Archie horror imprint. It's very cool wow. that they got that. And, you know, I'm a sucker for Sabrina. I like watching that show. It's as bad as Riverdale Jacob. So like I was gonna imagine- say, what if they had a a crossover with Riverdale and Sabrina? It's Archie and Jughead go up and are like, Sabrina, I hear you need help defeating Cthulhu. And you're like, Oh, Archie, you're supposed to be taking a math test. I don't understand any of this. Hey, you got sexy jughead. <laughs> sexy jughead. It's all garbage. Um Another thing Netflix has ruined Lovecraft-wise, you've got Lock and Key. Mm. So I literally said up top, Stephen King's biggest influence, right, is H.P. Lovecraft. Well, it's probably going to be his son's biggest influence, too. Joe Hill, creator of the comic book, uh, producer of the series, wrote the first episode. Uh, So much so that the first volume of Lock and Key is called Welcome to Lovecraft Country. 
uh, and it's literally that the name of the town they live in is Lovecraft. They change it to Matheson after the sci-fi pulp writer Richard Matheson, Omega mm-hmm. Man, I Am Legend. Okay. Um, Does that I don't take know place why. in New England, Massachusetts, or what? It takes place in Maine, of course, Jacob, because yes. it is a Stephen King-affiliated work. Mm-hmm. So uh, there has to be salt water and people in coats and mysterious caves that hold doors to other realms where tentacle creatures, of course, come through. Of course. Now, again, it's like, I just... You cannot... The basis of your imaginary world that you create cannot be that anything is possible in these other dimensions of unspeakable horrors. I think that's where it doesn't work. It worked for the one guy who came up with it and for everyone else to use it as a crutch to say, well, my story is actually kind of Lovecraftian because I don't really know what the bad guy is because I'm lazy and really can't write. You're like, mm. well, you know, that's, that's not really fair. Right. So that's my opinion. Um, I mean, looking at kind of the Stephen King side of this, right, like zooming back a little bit to his works like something like it that is like this weird manifestation of some ancient power or like a giant turtle could be equally as interesting as cthulhu i I guess right right but like there's an internal consistent mythos i think to his works right even the shining is an extension of that power maybe could be totally interpreted and i mean the the book it has a lot of stuff that you know the the movies don't show as much like the you know the world is on the back of a giant turtle and that's basically god and then pennywise is like this unspeakable horror who appears in the form of a clown but doesn't necessarily need to be the clown he's just the idea of horror basically he's like the most terrifying thing you can think of so that in itself is very lovecraftian too Mm -hmm. very much he is an elder god opposed to gan the turtle which is a elder elder god wink wink it's right. I, Mike. I'm with you. It is so much easier because at least he is putting these stakes and these pins down to say, no, this is what it is. This is what my world is. There's a hierarchy. Um, it's a weird one. But it's it's yeah. a weird one. It's amazing that it does work. That like Jacob said, the unspeakable clown. Like it, it, it works. It isn't. It isn't just a vague thing to me. It is. I, there's something to grab onto with the Pennywise part. Yeah, uh, but at the same time, the reason Lovecraft stuff does work in concept, like you said, the Dagon tentacle that becomes a Dagon that becomes the Cthulhu horror, like, there is no hierarchy, there is no structure, there is just chaos and fear. It works when you're the first guy to do it. You know, yeah. Back to your point. Well, yeah, I would with- almost even say, you know, you're just making me think, Mike, almost a final thought here to wrap it up, but we're not there yet, but the fear of the unknown was so prevalent at the time that he was writing this stuff that does not fly anymore we live in this smart age quote unquote where everybody thinks they know everything so you Mm. have to challenge them with something that can challenge them you can't just say but there's bad stuff out there right but when you're bringing in you know elder gods from other dimensions and stuff like that's something that we don't know about in our realm so that can be explored but I do agree that that the writer or the creator should have a, a strong sense of his own like internal mythos and know what the ultimate like this is what I hate about you know to get on you know people like J.J. Abrams who set up mysteries <laughs> and then Bring don't necessarily back. know where they're going to go so yeah I prefer stories where 
the author has a clear idea of who the villain is, what the you know structure of it all is before even writing anything. And you can set up a mystery, but you got to know where it's how it's going to pay off, what everything is, you know, you got to know as the author. So I don't like, you know, J.J. Abrams style of writing, setting up mystery boxes that don't get paid off. Right, which for me, that means my ultimate Eldritch Horror would be uh, Disney's handling of Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> um, exactly. It's the exact thing, but yeah, as... True you know, cosmic horror. <laughs> it's literal cosmic horror, Zori, you made it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's that structure, right? Human beings were, were designed to have structure, to put things into boxes, right? Uh, where our eyes are evolved to see faces and things. That's why you see faces in clouds when they aren't there. So the idea of something without structure, without anything, it's so the opposite of how we've even evolved as a species. That that's why it's scary. Um, and what makes it work? Uh, it doesn't make for good storytelling, but it can make for a very effective scary monster. Speaking of structure, the structure of our show is such that, coming up right now, we're going to hit the wrap-up and get our last thoughts on H.P. Lovecraft and his influence on pop culture. Coming up next. Mike, what a great way to tie everything up together. That was beautiful. We're Nailed doing it, it man. <laughs> Good segue. Tentacles today. tying us up as we speak. Oh, those su- you know suction cups? Uh, on, they can like smell and taste things. Oh. So it's like anytime they touch something, they know what it tastes like. <laughs> it's like I saw a tentacle that had eyeballs on all of its suction cups. Well, I oh, saw no. this recently. The tentacle of an octopus is such that it has suckers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to feel, but the tentacles of a great or a giant squid or a giant octopus have claws and teeth. They are meant to tear. Right. So, oh Whoa. my god, can you imagine something just? Oh, well, you no. think about a giant squid in your bones. It's got the tentacles, this and terrible. then its mouth is like on its a butt. beak. Yeah, oh. and the mouth is the butt, so it's just grabbing things and putting them into its mouth. So <laughs> an octopus is curious. A squid is just. <laughs> Destruction. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Hornet versus B. That's terrible. Yeah, I, I mean, just get. No, I'm saying oh, weirded yeah. out by the idea. Of what if I shook your hand and then I knew what your hand tasted like? That would <laughs> not be cool. Um, yeah. You know, giant squids are kind of like our own eldritch horrors because they live, you know, deep underwater where we don't know much about. Like so much of the ocean is not explored <laughs> oh, even to God. this day. So I like to imagine them as having their own societies. And uh, things where they're sacrificing fish to their their squid gods. Mm, could be. Well, <laughs> we're sacrificing our listeners to this last section here. What's up, guys? We got the next round busted out. That's <laughs> right, out Normies. Here. We're talking. It's your boy Dagon. Where it's your boy Dagon. We're Dagon it up. I've got this fish head. Uh, I, I wasn't joking. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you know, Jacob was saying maybe a Dagon's a bad guy in Bloodborne. I think Castlevania fishmen are called Dagons as well. So it's just it's permeating, guys. It's in everything you love. Absolutely. Yeah. And one thing I omitted. We talked about the Mountains of Madness and that whole. Um, Guillermo del Toro thing, it's like, that just makes me think about the thing, you know, because Mountains of Madness is, they go to Antarctica and there's, like, this crazy shit goes on, right? And they're saying, hey, don't go to Antarctica, and that's exactly what the thing is. They show up after everyone's been killed. 
And then, Mike, you literally have John Carpenter directly stealing Lovecraft. He has a film called In the Mouth of Madness, a Sam Neill movie where he plays a detective who has to track down a writer who has written a book that is a portal to hell that unleashes unspeakable horrors, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I love that, dude. The thing is, I mean, the thing is, that is an Eldritch Horror. That is something where yeah. I know yeah. it's from outer space and it flies a spaceship, but that's almost where I'm more nervous, where I'm like, oh, no, it's smart. It knows how to do things. Right. And it's got this this element of the fear of the other, that paranoia that you think Lovecraft must have had because he cannot trust anybody you know yeah and totally. also i like because of the the effects the practical effects and everything of basically it appearing human until you know you realize it's not and then it can warp into like different things or like a decapitated head can like you know scurry around on the ground or something well the blood itself runs away right? yeah um but i was gonna say like john carpenter Obviously, he's hugely influenced by a lot of this pulp science fiction from, you know, the early mm-hmm. 1900s and stuff. So that's seen in a lot of his best work. Um, I think carpenter, carpentering in should be a term. You know, we're talking about Lovecraftian. Oh, Lynchian. shit. Why not carpentering? What would yeah. that be? Dirty. Carpentering. You know, gritty. Yeah. It's, synth you know, music. Synth music and Roddy Piper just fighting people. <laughs> it's just like what you picture, man. I fucking love that, Jacob. You yeah. know what? And and again, this this is you know Roddy Piper. Um, they live. They live. He's the guy with the the madman's knowledge. Right, he can see what no one else crazy. can. Yeah, <laughs> and it drives him crazy. John Carpenter was probably insane. I bet he read every yeah. one of these books and was like, "This guy's a fucking genius." <laughs> and you, you like see don't see the irony. <laughs> and I'm He's all great. out of bubblegum. I would say, yeah, <laughs> even John Carpenter's worst movies are super interesting in that way. So, <laughs> yeah, great guy, great filmmaker. To get to my wrap up, then I would say the mm-hmm. thing I am most worried about is our discovery on this podcast with the J.J. Abrams of it all. He is not a filmmaker that works in this genre. I. Man, talking about this, I'm like dreaming now where it's like, why didn't we get a John Carpenter, John Carter movie? (laughs) Or, you know, like, real, the big swings on Lovecraft. I can't believe people don't let Guillermo del Toro just do his loose, vague analogy vision of it. Again, it's not going to be direct. It's going to be what these horrors make these people feel, which to me is not horrible. It's people working out their other insecurities, like Mike was saying, the fear of the other, the fear of, you know, the individual paranoia that we all have. I want to do that. I want to put that in my work. Mm -hmm. I think that's fucking cool that H.P. Lovecraft did that. I think it's fucking cool what Jacob said about the fact that this guy never gave up when you're a 38-year-old, you know, drug addict booze hound who's living in an an old woman's house whose parents went to an insane asylum at four, and you're just just sitting out there... You're just living off your inheritance, watching people just throw fish on a dock every day. Boats come in. You're just thinking about the world, man. Like, what a fucking weirdo. And I don't think we have that anymore. That makes me nervous. I don't know what a modern equivalent would be. I I hope there's some weirdo out there doing this shit. 
Yeah, it's just because we live in such a different era where we have the internet and we have, you know, global communication. I was communication. so ready for the words, a society, to come out of your mouth. <laughs> Dude, we live in a society. we live in a society, Mike. That's what H.P. Lovecraft was saying. Take that mask off, Jacob, you're a clown. No, bang, bang, bang. But sorry, go ahead. So, Jay. but it's like, yeah, it's like Mike was saying, like, the fear of the unknown is so much less now in this modern age because we know so much more than we used to. Um but, you know, like I was saying earlier, there's still things, you know, there's still space. We don't know everything about space. We don't know a lot about the deep, you know, because like 90% of the ocean hasn't even been explored yet. So there still are things that are unknown. James to Cameron has entered the chat. Yeah, he's taking Dude, a submarine James down. Cameron, James Cameron went down to the Mariana's Trench, saw just like the eye of Cthulhu open, and like started to like just rise back up and hasn't told any of us yeah. about it. No, that's where he came up with seven Avatar movies <laughs> in that one moment. Yeah, he gained the madman's knowledge of Avatar. That's right. Um, but yeah, like a big 3D cinema. So while I agree that there, you know, a lot of the unknown has become known to us, there are new boundaries that we can still push, and I'd like to see filmmakers like Del Toro tackle those kind of things. So, you know, that's a great, you know, final thought or, or wrap up for me, anyways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I'll try to uh, summarize my thoughts as well. When you look at kind of the writings of, of a madman, kind of working through his own neuroses and fears and phobias, right? He's kind of living in a bubble. You know, he's writing letters to his colleagues. Hey, uh, how about uh, that racism? You know, it's like <laughs> we, we, we got weirdos on Twitter right now in their own bubbles. Everybody's kind of in their own uh. bubble. So there might be a, a culture, especially with, you know, the virus and everyone being isolated. Right. There, there's a big isolationist kind of bend on some of his work. It feels like yeah. I could see somebody held up, scared of everybody else around them, locked into their own bad, weird ideas and trying just to self-psychology that onto the page or that's into film. scary Mike. Oh, totally. yeah, I could see that too that's scary that's an unspeakable that come horror from? yeah and you're right yeah. you know Mike with you know even though we're all more connected now than ever we're also like in a way more isolated than ever because everyone's got their own echo chambers and you know you've got you know QAnon and all this stuff where people just get wrapped up in these like almost a cult where it's like these conspiracy theories mm-hmm. where they have their own mythos about everything about how the world is run by you know the you know the global elite and all this stuff so that's in a way its own kind of mythos we have the call to the reptile god active right that's right uh, and there's there's a invisible danger out there and we don't know if we can trust the maybe that guy didn't cover his mouth you know it's 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 a weird (laughs) time and a lot of lovecraft's themes kind of can be just as spooky right now if you really think about it oh yeah 100 percent. one thing we're dancing around that i didn't even think about that we didn't talk about a writer who wrote about insane stuff that created conspiracy theories that people turned into a religion. L. Ron Hubbard. It's like, wow. why didn't yeah. that work for H.P. Lovecraft? I'm surprised there isn't a church of Cthulhu where somebody's like, there well, is, no, no, I no, bet. actually. Oh, yeah, I'm, sure <laughs> I'm sure doesn't make there any is. money. It, does, it doesn't have Tom Cruise making a movie talking about how, like, Cthulhu, right. you know, man, when I pray to Cthulhu every night, he tells me all this good stuff. They got Tom Booze, though. And because it's... it's because it's so known in pop culture, I don't think they could actually use the same mythos, but they could kind of derive their own mythos out of it, perhaps. Or someone yeah. could make a new movie about how you know someone's stumbling into a, a Cthulhu cult in the modern day. That would be an interesting movie, I think. 
That would yeah, be cool. or like even you could make a period piece too. Maybe set it in the fifties, put it on HBO Max. <laughs> um, maybe address some of the racism with uh, H.P. Lovecraft himself. And I think I would totally watch. I that. would. Totally. I wouldn't watch that. I'd even. No, watch I love the, the idea episode. though. Of, no, I did, and I loved it. I like the idea of spinning our uh, the thought, like Jacob said, that we know everything, so we couldn't be scared of the unknown, and flipping that on its head is a good idea, um, for sure. And yeah, I just think at the end of the day, Lovecraft, a guy who had some questionable at best damning and terrible at worst personal views and fears that he spun into these strange stories that survived past his lifetime and inspired a lot of people to make cool shit and i like a lot of that shit that was inspired by it totally absolutely and mike there's no battle to be won um you know if you buy his short stories now he had no heirs he had no children you know like it all goes mm-hmm. to i would assume a lovecraft foundation that just maintains this shitty house that i saw a tour of like you're not right. you're not hurting anyone Hopefully funds the <laughs> there's nothing to cancel yeah, yeah. Exactly. about love exactly at this thank you jacob <laughs> there, at this point there is nothing so check out the stuff i wouldn't say check out the stories check out the games i think that's what us normies are maybe gonna do i kind of want to check out the video game but maybe we'll play the role-playing game and let you guys I'm know down. Watch yeah, Lovecraft awesome. Country. Check out Underwater. I really liked that. Um, and we'll keep shouting stuff out. We love it. We love Lovecraft here. Bloodborne. 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 Yeah. <laughs> All right, Normies. As always. You can check us out at normies underscore like underscore us on all social media. Let us know if you love Lovecraft crafting, Lovecraft loving craft craft. I don't know. I always like crafting. Mm-hmm. I love crafting. Uh, if you're liking the show, I love. There's oh, that's our business. It's the love I love Lovecraft crafting store online <laughs> where you only crochet Lovecraft stuff. There you go. I I, I, um, I love Lovecraft Cthulhu. I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Aldrich sitcom. There you go. We never I got. Love uh, yeah, right. I, I have been the Reanimiker. <laughs> Eldrick Colin. This is uh, Jacob. <laughs> right. Bloodborne! Bloodborne! Have a, bye. Have a good one, Normies. Hell yeah, this is Aquaman, and if you enjoyed that episode, I'd really appreciate it if you give it a like, share, and subscribe on iTunes, and you'd really be one of my man if you share with a friend. We'll be seeing you around. <laughs> glorky, glorky. That got so, fish. Did we have anything else for the Vigia? I mean, I don't know if we did. Pretty much generalities, right? Unless we want to be like, ah, yes, Rom the Vacuous Spider is clearly a reference to... <laughs> right. Which that boss? Yeah, sucks. that's not a good boss. Oh, and the true, the true boss of Bloodborne is what the orphan of costs, and he's got like a weird fetus outside of his body, yeah. and it's like it's my very, favorite bosses are very like strange stuff. there's like two boss kind of bosses in Bloodborne. There's ones that are like similar move set to you, where they're like hunters or something like that, and then there's the big monstrosities. And I kind of like the like even the first boss you have to fight is like a, a hunter turned you know evil or something and he has like very similar the moves to the, the player character yeah right it's like a duel which that's why people like you know Artorius but Artorius even in Dark Souls he's like confronting the abyss it's like the unknown darkness and it's driving people crazy and deforming them so yeah even the DLC for Dark yeah. Souls had 
some Lovecraft. I wonder stuff if maybe the really? Elden Ring will have, you know, any Ooh. influences as well. Ooh, the Eldritch yeah. Ring maybe. We'll have to find <laughs> out. Real quick before we stop, um, I think one J.J. Abrams is the perfect guy for this stuff because all of Lovecraft stories were like interesting setups with no payoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he Got might him. be the best. Got him. <laughs> All right, that's all I wanted to say. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Hit and stop.